the UK. New Year's Eve just passed a few seconds ago, and it is now New Year's Day. And for those of you perhaps in uh, the eastern parts of Europe and in Asia, it is well into New Year's Day. Um, yeah, it says, it says something about, about time, doesn't it? <laughs> it's, uh, it's interesting how here we are marking this time and it's really, when you think about it, it's really quite an artificial, it's quite artificial. Um, it's, been, it's been created for the, 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 the time, the different time zones and the sense of different time has been created um, for different reasons, primarily economic. The time zones were originally created to uh, get the trains running on, on schedules and to make it more easy to do international business. And so it's, um, it's very much a human construction. Of course, it does have the, um, the, the function of giving us certain times for nighttime and certain times for daytime, which, which is helpful. It's helpful to be sleeping in the dark and be awake in the light. But it's, um, but like, like so many things, it's very much a, a human construction. And it's, um, it's, it's interesting to look at, to look at time. Um, we call this uh, New Year's Eve. And, and there's going to be just a point, a momentary point at midnight when it's, it's almost like that, that momentary point is, is in between. The last year has gone and next year hasn't arrived yet. And there's just this moment that's hanging there, not, not in any year. It's a, it's a pause. And I think, I think if, we, if we can see it as a pause, it's a, it can be a good reminder for us to pause and to uh, perhaps to reflect on the past, to, to look to the future. And there are, there are, there are many, many pauses, um, even if we're if we're in in our practice in the, in the meditation practice with mindfulness of the breathing, when the attention gets very very settled, with just the breath coming in and the breath going out, one can experience one can feel very immediately in the body, just a momentary pause between the in breath and the out breath, and between the out breath and the in-breath. And I think if we, if we start to look very closely at, uh, in, in so many things, we'll start to see these moments of pause. And so in a way, it, um, it, 
we, we could point to every moment, every moment as a moment of pause between what went before and what will come after. And so these moments, which is in fact every moment, is a moment to begin again. So in, in every single moment, we have an opportunity to begin again, to let go of the past, to release the past, and to, to, um, to look to, mm, not to look to the future, but to, to create conditions for the future. To, to create a condition that will influence how the future is. Of course, we don't really know. Sometimes we, we can create all the good conditions we can think of. We can have all the good intentions. And, and sometimes it just doesn't turn out that way. And, and so in, in these moments, in these moments of pause, there's really, there's really a, a, a state of not knowing. We can, we can remember the past as well as our memory is. And um, I don't know, I find that less and less I rely on my memory <laughs> as we get older, the, uh, the memory becomes less reliable. Uh, and we really don't know what the future will be. And, and in that pause, it's, it's really good to, to, to rest in the pause with that sense of not knowing. And in that sense of not knowing, virtually anything becomes possible. Because we don't know. We don't know how it will be or what it will be. And yet we can, we can create conditions. We can, um, we can create conditions that will influence what comes next and what follows on. And, um, and this is one of, um, one of the features of New Year's. Uh, a, a common feature is to we, we call it New Year's New Year's resolutions. We resolve for something to do something, to be something, to be a certain way, to act a certain way, to think a certain way, and and we have that resolution. I prefer to think of it as an intention. We set up an intention. Um, I, I can, I'm even thinking we can put it in the context of the, of the Buddhist precepts. It's um, the, the precepts which begin with the wording, I undertake the training to. And, and so perhaps, perhaps it could be helpful to see these resolutions, these intentions in that context. It's, it's an undertaking and it's a training, a practice. 
the um, the the Buddha. Most of you, most of you, I think, probably are aware. The Buddha outlined a path of practice and a path that a, a, a path that leads to liberation, and also a path that is a path of liberation. And um, and he has eight parts to this, and and the second part is right or wise intention, skillful intention. And so he really put a high importance on intention. Very, very, very important part of the practice. And an intention is a very important part of our daily lives, even though we don't really know what's going to be coming. Uh, defined intention intention him right the intention for non-harming the intention for non-ill will and the intention for renunciation so intention having these these three components, these three aspects to it. And so we can see, I think, pretty easily from that, that it's, it's very much applicable to pretty much every aspect of life. And it's, it's calling on us to, to apply this. The Buddha is calling on us to apply this to every aspect of life. Non-harming, non-ill will, and renunciation. So the non-harming and the, the, the non-harming is, is, is really about not causing harm to ourselves or to others. The intention for non-ill will is, is about not, not getting caught in, in judging or criticizing or thinking badly about ourselves or others not wishing harm to ourselves or others. And the third, renunciation. Renunciation is, is about living with simplicity or perhaps more simplicity than what so many of us live with on a day-to-day -day basis. It's about releasing, releasing, letting go, not clinging, not not holding on. And when we, when we put these together, we see that they all apply to ourselves as well as to others. So non-harming, non-ill will, and renunciation. Renunciation is, is probably the more difficult of this. We really... I think as a culture, we don't like to renounce. <laughs> we find it difficult to, uh, to let go of so many things, even, even, even things that are difficult. We find difficult things just as hard to let go of as things that aren't, diff that, that aren't difficult, perhaps even more so. Um, we get really caught up. The, 
And so many times I've had people come to me on retreats and say, oh, I've got this terrible pain. I've got this pain in my knee. It's really bad. How do I get rid of it? What do I do? I want to I get rid of it. And, um, and, and one day they'll, they'll find some little trick or something or have some insight and the pain is gone. And after a while, they'll come and say, well, that pain was really helpful for my practice. It gave me something to focus on. <laughs> so there's, there's still a holding on. There's still a holding on to that pain and, um, and a, a, kind of a, a kind of attachment to that, which initially was not desirable or pleasant or wanted at all. And uh, sometimes even to the extent that People say, oh, I wish I had that back. So renunciation is, is, not, is not easy. Letting go, non-clinging is not easy. And when, when, I, when I use these terms, the, the term letting go, it's, it comes up very commonly in the, in the practice and in the teachings. And I find it, a particularly not helpful way of thinking. Um, and I think of letting go, then the, the question comes up, well, I want to let go of this. I have to let go of this. I see that it's causing a lot of suffering. I have to let go of it. And then the question is, how do I let go? And I make letting go into something that I have to do. But in fact, if it's something that I have to do, whatever it is I have to do is being held on to. So in a sense, I'm replacing one attachment, one holding on with another. So I prefer to think of, to, to replace the term letting go with non-clinging. So it's, it's the absence of holding on. And the absence of holding on is, uh, one, one of my friends used to um, do this little exercise. He'd, he'd, say, yeah, he'd say to a person, um, Here, here's a pencil, pick this up. Okay, I pick it up. Now, hold on to it. I'm holding on, I'm holding on. Now, let it go. Try, you know, he'll say, try to let it go. Because that's what we normally do. I, I ask, how do I let go? And then I try. I make the effort to let go. And so he'll say, try to let go. And I'll go with that. And he'll say, no, no, you let go. I want you just to try to let go. And, oh, no, that's not trying. That's letting go. And, and what, ha what happens is you can't try to let go. Either you're holding on or you're letting go. And, and if you try this, what you find is that the holding on takes effort. The letting go is the absence of the effort. The letting go is the relaxing the effortlessness, the not trying. The holding on is the trying. 
the doing. So when we set, when we set our intentions, perhaps seeing that setting an intention for one thing will require letting go of something else. Something, something to reflect on, and, and particularly at, um, at this time, at, um, at New Year's, when, when we are perhaps reflecting on our intentions for the coming year. Setting, setting the intentions also um, very much gives us an opportunity to reflect on beginning again. As, as we're setting an intention, it is setting, uh, setting ourselves up for a beginning again, for starting something. And to start something means ending something. So it's, it, it, it brings us to that, that place between, that place between what came before and what will come after. And in that, in that pause is the beginning again. So later on this evening, after after the talk, we're we're going to be um, we're going to be doing a ritual that will include um, non clinging and setting intention. and And I hope that I hope that there will be some reflection, a lot of reflection, on 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 both aspects. In this, um, in this path I mentioned that the Buddha outlined this, this path to liberation and path of liberation um, there's there's four four aspects. There's eight eight parts to it, eight aspects to it, and four of them have very much have to do with daily life. All of them have to do with our daily life as well as the formal practice. But four of them are very clearly directed at at our daily life activities, situations, um, right intention, right speech, right action, right livelihood. And in each case, with, with all of them, they all have, in a sense, they all have that same intention of non-harming, non-ill will, and renunciation. So that's, that's half, half the path. <laughs> half of the path has, the, the, uh, has right intention as underlying it.
speaking of not relying on memory, <laughs> the thoughts I had, some of the thoughts I had of what to speak about are gone. Uh, just take a moment, something will come. So we can see, we can see in, in, in our daily life, I think we can very much see how, how these four are important in, in our relationships with ourselves and our relationship with others. How, um, yeah, it's, um, yeah, just, it, it just in, in reflecting on the past year, this has, this has been, I think you'll agree, a very unusual year. And uh, yeah, speaking of <laughs> just thinking, thinking about the, the holding on and the attachment, how many of us have heard and how many of us have used the phrase, I'm looking forward to returning to the old normal. So there's an attachment to how things were or how we remember things were. And memory being very selective, we remember certain things and then projecting that and, and wanting to, to have that back in the future. And, and certainly some aspects of the past, some aspects of pre pandemic are very commendable, very much in tune with right intention, right speech, right action, right livelihood. Our relationships, relationships with, with ourselves and with people and, um, and the environment as well, relationship with the environment. And this, this comes up very much in right, uh, in, in the renunciation aspect. Um, and even in the context of the pandemic and, and the infection, so much that we've had to, we've had to let go of, to not, not hold on to. There's been so many aspects of our lives that just haven't been possible. And we've had to not hold on. And, and we can see that if we are holding on to, to, to ideas of how it should be and wanting it to be that way, wanting it to be a certain way, it creates dukkha, suffering, stress, anxiety. Where there's renunciation, the non-clinging, then there's more ease. And so this very much applies in, in our lives and in the context of, of what's been happening. And, and there's, a, there's also been many things that, um, 
there have been, there have been things that, that have been, in a sense and to a degree, released during the, the pandemic that really need to be released. So um, attitudes, attitudes towards people who are different than ourselves in, in any way, um, attitudes towards our idea of freedom, attitudes toward um, how we fill up our time, Um, there's, there's been so much opportunity to explore different things. Maybe being on this retreat is something new and different for you coming out of the, the pandemic. These, um, the, 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 the letting go, the non-clinging, applies very much also in our practice. And, and often in the practice, we can see very clearly how the, the holding on, the attachment, creates the suffering, creates the dukkha. Remember, <laughs> I can tell a story. Um, about myself, one I do remember very clearly um, about holding on and non-clinging and, and dukkha. Um, years ago when I was spending a lot of time in India, I took up the habit of smoking beedis. Any of you who have been to India know what a beedi is. And for those of you who haven't, it's crumbled up tobacco rolled up in a tobacco leaf and tied with a little piece of string. So it's, it's absolutely pure tobacco, loaded with tars and nicotine and, and all kinds of stuff. And one time I was in a bank to change money and there was a long lineup and I'm standing in this lineup and it's just taking forever. This is in, um, pre-computer days when everything was done by hand and lots of questions were asked. And I'm standing in line and the line isn't moving and the time is going by and I'm getting tired of standing and it's not pleasant at all. And the thought pops up, beady. And I reach into my pocket and there's no beadies. And I look around and there's nobody around who I can ask for a beady. And, and then there's a dilemma. Do I give up my place in line to go out and get a beady, or do I just stand here? And I decided to stand there. And I stood. And as I'm standing, all I'm thinking about is the beady and smoking that beady. And at some point, I started to feel it in my body. I started to feel vibrations in my body and tensing in my body and anxiety in my body and 
And I decided, okay, I'm going to practice with this. I'm just going to give attention to all of this. And I, I turned the attention to the body and I felt the body, all this vibrating and pulsing and throbbing in the body. And, and it started to get, it started to happen faster and faster and faster. And, and it got to a point where it was like the cells of my body, rather than thinking beady, 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 the cells of my body, the very cells of my body were screaming, beady, 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 beady. And I managed, somehow I managed to just stay with that. Just stayed with that. And it went on and on and on. And, and every now and then I would kind of open my eyes and look up and the line still hadn't moved. And at some point, it just started vibrating so fast, I could feel that the vibration was not about the beady, it was the craving. The craving was vibrating in my body. And I just stood with it and it kept vibrating. And all of a sudden, in a moment, there was a, such a clear seeing that it was this craving that was causing the extreme discomfort with this. And it all stopped. Just in that moment of realization that the craving caused the dukkha it came to an end. There was a letting go, a non-clinging. The clinging just ended. And it wasn't that I did anything. It just happened from the knowing, from that knowing. And that's, and that's so often, that's how the most important non-clingings happen. It's, it's like the more we can allow ourselves to feel, to experience what we're holding on to, not as in the object, not as thought, but really feeling it in the body, the more likely that non-clinging will happen. Another story, one time I had just flown home from India and I was in the airport waiting for my luggage and waiting and waiting and waiting and getting tired of standing there waiting for the luggage. And there was a man beside me, an Indian man standing beside me waiting and waiting and waiting. And I turned to him and, and I said, we're waiting so long. I said, it, the luggage comes faster in India than it does here in Toronto. <laughs> and he looked at me and he said, it just comes when it comes. And in the moment of hearing him say that, again, there was just a releasing, a relaxing. And it didn't matter. Just, just standing. So, so this, this recognition that the, the holding on is the cause of the dukkha and the not holding is freeing. So, so the, this, this exploration is very useful in our daily lives and very useful in formal practice.
So when we're, when we're really experiencing dukkha, when we're really experiencing stress, discomfort, anxiety in the practice, can we, can we rather than trying to fix it, trying to get rid of it, trying to get something else to replace it, can we just open to it? And that, and in a way that, that that opening is a real heartful opening. And in the opening, it allows for something to happen. And what happens may be that it changes. Sometimes we open to a great discomfort in the body and it just goes. Sometimes it doesn't go, but it gets less. Sometimes it actually gets stronger. (laughs) But the opening to it allows for the possibility. It's like the opening is this, this space between what was and what will or can be. It's the pause that allows for anything. So finding these pauses and taking these pauses and coming to rest in these pauses. And again, the pause can be any moment because any moment is the moment between what was and what will be. Any moment. And so we open in these moments and we see what is. We feel what is, we know what is. And in that knowing is freedom. So this is non-harming, non-ill will and renunciation. So in the practice, again, as in life, ultimately, it's not about the objects. It's not about things out there. It has much more to do with the relationship. It has much more to do with the relationship. How am I relating? What's the relationship between this object and this this apparent me? when the relationship is is one of openness, of kindness, of friendliness, then there is more freedom. And, and, And I think one thing that the pandemic has shown us and has been expressed by so many people in so many different ways is that it's it's really showing us how, how interdependent we are, how we really are in this world together. And this world depends on us all together. Each one of us is a critical piece of how this world is. And our thoughts, our speech, our action, and our intentions are all critical pieces of 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 this world. And so so we're not we're not separate. We all affect one another. 
because we're not separate. We're all in this together. And if, if this pandemic shows us nothing else, just that would be such a transformation and it would be impossible to go back to the old normal. I mentioned um, yesterday that, I think it was yesterday, the, the, the Buddha referred, maybe it was this morning, the Buddha, the Buddha referred to the, the understanding, the insight of change, of impermanence as a gateway to liberation. And another gateway is this understanding that we're all in this together, that we're all interconnected, interdependent. We all, we all come into being in each moment as we are dependent on everything else and everyone else. And, and my hope is that, that coming out of this pandemic and coming into this so-called next year, this will begin to show more and more and more and more people will, will realize this and live this. This morning I spoke about embodying and and, and that's what embodying is. To embody this is to live it, to be it. And so for each and every one of us in our relationships with ourselves, relationships with others, our relationship with the environment, may we all come to know this freedom that unites us all, this freedom that, that knows we are all together. And this freedom that releases dukkha and suffering. Okay, so thank you all. Um, let's, um, let's just sit quietly for a couple of minutes. And just allow to see if we can rest in the body and allow, allow the practice to be embodied in this moment.
May all beings see into the nature of things. May all beings know the joy and freedom of non-clinging. May all beings be free from dukkha. So um, let's um, let's take um, we'll take a, a fifteen minute break, and then we'll all come back together with our slips of paper and our pens or pencils and our unlit candles and okay yeah and if you'd like in this 15 minutes to go and enjoy um, a cup of tea what what do we need to bring you need to bring um it's 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 listed there it is now it's on the screen Okay. Okay. Does everyone see it on screen now? Good. Okay. And if you'd like to um, to go and have, take this time and have a little bit of a snack, a hot drink, a treat, and uh, a treat. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.